Hello and welcome to episode three of Socialism, the weekly podcast for Marxist analysis from the Socialist Party. One of the main weapons used by the right wing inside and outside Labour to attack Jeremy Corbyn in the recent period has been to smear the Labour left as anti-Semites. In the middle of this distorted, heated debate, any real analysis of what anti-Semitism is and what type of movement can end it has been completely lost. The implication of many allegations is that there is no distinction between anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism and opposition to the policies of the Israeli state. And where is the view of oppressed and working class people in Palestine resisting the occupation or of working class socialists in Israel who fight in solidarity with that struggle? To begin to answer some of these confusions and lies, this week we're discussing anti-Semitism, what it is and how to fight it. Over to Sarah Rack. I'm here today with Judy Beeshin, who's a member of the Socialist Party's Executive Committee, and we're going to be discussing the issue of anti-Semitism, which has been getting a lot of coverage recently, particularly because of the events and debates inside the Labour Party. Um, And so, Judy, to start off with, why is it important to discuss and strive to understand the issues that we're going to be discussing? So why is it important for socialists today to understand anti-Semitism? Well, clearly it's very important that socialists understand all forms of racism and prejudice. Otherwise, how can we counter them? Unless, first of all, we understand where they're coming from, from who, and so on. And regarding anti-Semitism, clearly it's always been important to know what it is, to be able to recognise it. But the allegations of anti-Semitism that have been aimed at Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour left have now made a real understanding of it important from another point of view, really, because they've been politically motivated. They've raised the question, therefore, um, of what constitutes real anti-Semitism and what doesn't, uh, which accusations that have been made have no real foundation and which do. And I think it's the case that accusations uh, that are without foundation won't help understanding and countering real anti-Semitism. In fact, they muddy the waters and will undermine fighting real cases by, in effect, uh, throwing out a fog of misinformation. And when you look at the number of the accusations, the intense bombardment of them, it's been really serving to spread fear in Jewish communities, creating a feeling of being under increased threat. And clearly that is a worse situation for those communities, one that shouldn't be happening, basically. So as you said there, um, there's an issue of uh, which accusations are um, showing anti-Semitism and which aren't. And I suppose the question at the heart of that is, what is anti-Semitism? Well, there's been a lot of debate on this uh, in the recent period, and I think we can boil it down to fundamentally being hostility or prejudice towards Jewish people as Jews, Jews as Jews. And it can take many ugly forms. At the one end of the spectrum, there's prejudiced comments being made on social media. A step above that is abusive comments made directly to Jewish people on the street or other public places. But then, of course, there are many more severe forms um, going on to damage of property, uh, of synagogues, of cemeteries, of schools maybe, and houses. 
And then, of course, there's the possibility of physical attacks, of violent assaults and even killings. But these are fortunately very rare at present in Britain. But we've seen abroad, we've seen in France, that there was the shocking killing of four Jewish people in a Paris kosher shop in 2015. Uh, the same year, in fact, a Jewish man was shot dead in Copenhagen outside a synagogue. And at present in Germany, there are a lot of increased reports of anti-Semitic incidents and violence being carried out by um, in association with what's happening uh, on the far right, because there's a, a climate being created by the electoral rise of the AFD, the Alternative for Germany Party, and the presence of other right-wing organisations that is um, basically um, being seen as an encouragement to carry out anti-Semitic and racist acts by um, you know, elements in the population. And the anti-immigrant demonstrations have clearly not helped in this respect as well that's, that have taken place in Germany. Basically, all cases, um, whatever their level, have to be strongly condemned and countered and action needs to be taken that's appropriate for the level of each case. So you mentioned there in relation to Germany, the far right, but I think in Britain at the moment there's a real campaign to try and um, push the idea that in Britain now uh, anti-Semitism is most common um, on the left uh, of politics rather than the right. How do we respond to that? Yes, it's true that most of the allegations have been directed against the Labour left, and that's been with the aim of damaging Corbyn, that's clear. Yet a number of research studies have showed that there is no more anti-Semitism in Labour than in other political parties. And there was a parliamentary Home Affairs Committee report in 2016 that acknowledged that. That report, in fact, um, did stress that most anti-Semitic abuse and crime has come from individuals associated with or motivated by far-right organisations. And it, in fact, it gave the estimate that something like three quarters of all such um, incidents come from those sources. Now, of course, um, there's also anti-Semitism and other forms of racism in the mainstream right as well. That's clear. I mean, look at the Windrush scandal not so long ago when the Tory government discriminated outrageously against black people who had come to work in Britain decades ago or even came as small children. Um, you know, we've, we've seen um, outrageous outra outra uh, racism in other parties. And of course, you know, there can be elements of it within Labour, but in a party of 500,000, as Labour is, uh, clearly uh, it won't be immune from such um, such racism. But it's, as I said, no more prevalent than in the other parties. So I think it's interesting then to kind of go back and look at um, where does anti-Semitism come from? Uh, so historically speaking, where, where, where does it originate from? Well, it arose in a mass form in the late Middle Ages. The historical studies show that Jewish people were scapegoated for the role that they were tending to play in Western Europe, in particular in that period, in a period when feudal relations were really in their phase of decline. And Jewish people had particularly been involved in intermediary trade and financial roles, mainly in the service of the feudal aristocracies. And in those roles, they came to face fierce competition for that work as capitalist relations uh, were starting to develop within feudalism. 
And because of that, they were forced more and more into playing lower level intermediary, intermediary roles, like selling small goods, uh, lending money to the peasantry, those kind of roles. And then that led, in turn, to the peasantry, which was hugely oppressed in feudal society, coming to place some of the blame for their plight on Jewish sellers and lenders, who were themselves just really trying to carve out a living uh, for their own families and in, and in their own communities uh, in what were difficult circumstances for them as well. So what was really happening was a process where the Jews faced a squeeze and a persecution from different sections of society and a great many terrible anti-Semitic killings and expulsions of them, expulsions of them were documented in the late Middle Ages with the result that there were large migrations of Jews in the 15th and 16th centuries to Eastern Europe, especially Poland, but also to the Ottoman Empire, basically trying to escape brutal persecution and mass expulsions. But then, um, you know, the, the uh, situation in Eastern Europe, that brought new horrors. The Jewish immigrant populations tried to adopt productive roles in the development of capitalist industry, but the weakness of capitalist development in Eastern Europe meant that they were again scapegoated, blamed for poverty, blamed for lack of jobs, the unemployment levels and so on. And then the terrible result again was that brutal pogroms took place at the end of the 19th century in the Tsarist Empire, including in Russian-occupied Poland, which forced another wave of Jewish emigration to many destinations around the world, in fact, and in particular in the um, the U.S., uh, Jewish population went up about sixfold in the late 19th century and the start of the 20th century. And then, of course, I must, um, just before I finish on this, this question you've asked, go on to say about the tr enormously tragic um, Holocaust that was seen as the um, 20th century progressed, uh, in the early 1940s in Germany. And in this case, of course, it was the Nazis who were instigating it and using anti-Semitism as a divisive tool, again, as it had been used before, um, in their case, particularly to divert hostility from capitalism in general onto Jewish businesses. And also they tried to link, uh, they tried to denigrate um, Judaism and Marxism by linking the two together, by saying that uh, many socialist leaders had come from Jewish backgrounds, uh, including Marx himself, in fact, but also great Marxists like Rosa Luxemburg, Leon Trotsky and many others. And um, by the way, Trotsky remarkably had actually predicted the Holocaust before it took place in 1938. He said that if fascism and the prospect of world war weren't countered uh, and defeated by the workers' movements, then uh, to use the words he used, he said the physical extermination of Jews would be their fate at the hands of political reaction. So really, in reply to your question, there were many outbreaks of devastating anti-Semitism in history that Jewish populations suffered from immensely with the Holocaust obviously being um, in living memory for many people. Yeah, I think that's um, really interesting and obviously shows that it's a very old and in some ways therefore you know, deeply embedded um, uh, prejudice and oppression. Um, and that obviously leads to then um, ideas on how to resist to that oppression. 
Um, and particularly, I think, in the first part of the 20th century, there were different ideas uh, amongst Jews and others about what the way forward for um, a solution to anti-Semitism uh, were. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yes, well, firstly, there were those who were active in workers' parties and the struggles for socialism, and they saw that as the route to ending anti-Semitism and persecution. And they were right, because inequality and poverty, which went with feudalism and capitalism, were the root causes of racism and anti-Semitism. So it was only on the basis of sweeping those system relations away that the conditions for racism could be wiped out. But while a magnificent socialist revolution took place in Russia in 1917, with the working class actually taking power into its own hands, it wasn't able to consolidate at that time a democratic socialist society because it didn't have a developed enough economy at that stage. And unfortunately, the attempts at revolution in the countries that did have advanced levels of production didn't succeed at that time. So that situation they'd led to increased interest among a minority of Jewish people in the ideology of Zionism, which basically promoted the idea that anti-Semitism would always be the fate of Jews in Europe. And what was needed was to create a Jewish homeland somewhere on the planet and basically escape from persecution in Europe by, by going there. And they settled on the idea of Palestine as a destination but the majority of people in Palestine at that time were Arab, Muslims and Christians. That land was far from being unoccupied and available, in fact. So, um, I mean, this issue of Zionism is something that's being discussed a lot at the moment and kind of from different sides of the debate um, within Labour, uh, claiming that uh, you can't differentiate bet between uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism. Um, which is obviously something that we wouldn't agree with. So how how do we explain the difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism? Well, yes, um, some of the people who have attacked Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour left have argued that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are the same thing. This was um, something, for instance, that the former Tory party chairman, Lord Feldman, said. But it is totally wrong. Anti-Semitism is hostility to Jewish people, anti-Zionism is opposition to an ideology and Zionism isn't a uniform ideology either. Its range has included attempts by a layer of Zionists to claim it could even be a type of socialist project that um, you know originally it was based on the idea of the kibbutzes in Israel, um, what became Israel, um, communes which collectively work um, the land, you know, worked in agriculture, um, collectively arranged childcare, cooking and so on. But um, Zionism was in reality a plan based on capitalism, which looked to the imperialist powers to sponsor its execution. And it turned out to be a plan that was based on the forced dispossession of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians. Now, I think it's also important to stress on this question that Zionism and Jewish people certainly cannot be equated. There's a huge number of Jewish people worldwide, and some in Israel also, who don't support Zionism. And also there's a number of religious Jewish groups internationally that strongly oppose Zionism too, on religious grounds. They don't see a religious justification for it according to their uh, inter interpretation of Judaism. 
And um, so you mentioned that um, eventually Palestine was settled on uh, as where um, a, a Jewish state could be built, um, but that there were different options being uh, explored and being put forward. So how did that come about that it was Palestine, given what you've pointed out about what existed there already? Well, for the Zionists, uh, there were already Jewish communities in Palestine, some very long-standing ones, in fact, and there was a certain level of ongoing Jewish emigration to Palestine. And very important to them was the fact that many of the, the Zionists were, were claiming a religious link and a right to the land. And, you know, there are uh, sites, clearly, uh, that are... Um, holy sites, you know, as far as Judaism is concerned in, in Palestine. But there are also holy sites uh, in Jerusalem and Hebron and so on for Muslims and Christians as well. So these were the, the main sort of arguments that the Zionists were using concerning well, regarding Palestine. And then as far as the Western imperialist powers go, on their part, they could see advantages uh, from their own point of view for their own interests in the choice of Palestine as a Jewish homeland, because they could see that perhaps an Israeli state there could be a geopolitical assistance as far as their influence in the whole Middle East was concerned. Uh, in particular, they saw it as a possible state that they could um, lean on um, against the threat of Arab revolution as they saw it, and also against the idea that um, Arab regimes could turn towards the Soviet Union and come under the influence of the Soviet Union instead of the West. So, you know, the, the, the West had its own reasons as well for seeing Palestine as a, as a, a good place uh, to set up an Israeli state from their point of view. Mm. And you mentioned um, Leon Trotsky uh, earlier in terms of his um, warnings about the Holocaust. And he also commented um, in this debate, didn't he? He um, opposed Palestine as the location for the creation of um, the Israeli state. Um, but we don't uh, take exactly the same position as that in terms of um, that the Israeli state shouldn't exist where it is today, do we? Yeah, uh, Trotsky warns that migration to Palestine wouldn't be a solution for the Jewish people and said it could eventually become a bloody trap for them, as uh, he put it. And tragically, that is an accurate prediction that he gave, given the rounds of Jewish-Arab bloodshed that have happened ever since, well, ever since the war that preceded the creation of Israel, in fact, and even some before that. Marxists were right to oppose its creation, the creation of the Israeli state, although also correctly they didn't actually oppose the right to self-determination for Jewish people who wanted it. In other words, a Jewish homeland somewhere, which on a socialist basis uh, would have been possible, as Trotsky explains. Now, today, if we were to say Israel shouldn't exist, it doesn't point to any solution. The situation now is very different to when Israel was created because today there's an Israeli national consciousness in the Israeli working class and the Israeli middle class. And a large majority of them, in fact, were, were born there. You know, it's the only country that they've known. And there's other factors, of course, that have to be taken into account. There's, um, we can't be ignored that it's a state with one of the strongest military forces in the world, including the existence of nuclear weapons and also that the Jewish population has quite a strong siege, what we sometimes refer to as a siege mentality, 
which has been nurtured by very intense nationalist propaganda and constant warnings of the possible military aggression from outside forces, from um, Iran in particular, um, is, is used by the Israeli government as a threat, and Hezbollah from Lebanon, and also um, Hamas, of course, from the Gaza Strip. So the only way uh, for now for Israeli workers, and the only way forward for Israeli workers to resolve the issue of their security and self-determination lies really in building a joint struggle of the Israeli Jewish people and along with Arab workers against Israeli capitalism and linking this to worker struggles and organisations in the Palestinian territories and also in the neighbouring countries, you know, building um, unity on class lines and uh, building that based on a socialist programme as well. So you mentioned that Marxists um, intervening in those debates at the time, um, they did oppose uh, um, the state of Israel being established where it is now, but not the, you know, not in principle the idea of there being um, a state for the Jewish people uh, being established. But there are some um, on the left at the moment who argue that um, supporting the creation of any state that's based on uh, a particular religion or ethnicity um, isn't a demand that socialists should be supporting and that, that risks um, increasing nationalism, for example. How do we respond to that argument? Well, it's the, the creation of such a state um, is, is never been a socialist demand, you know, the idea of a state based on a religion or ethnicity. But a very important socialist position is to recognise the right to self-determination for nationalities. That was understood very, very well by Lenin. And, um, you know, well, what Lenin did was he promoted the right to self-determination of the many nationalities that were oppressed under Tsarism. And he realised that the only way of winning their trust and being able to bring about a federation of socialist states was by rejecting any coercion of nationalities. You know, it had to be done on the basis of of, of offering and being prepared to carry through, you know, their, their right to self-determination in order to, to win their trust and um, uh, convince them that a socialist federation would be in their best interests. And as far as the situation today, the, the right to self-determination should be a right for the Israeli Jews, but providing that Palestinians also have the same rights. So in practice, what that actually means would be to have two socialist states side by side with two capitals in Jerusalem. And another important aspect that socialists must raise is that the right to self-determination doesn't mean that the rights of minorities can be trampled over. Um, they have to be fully guaranteed, uh, and that is a very important socialist demand as well. And that is obviously a demand that isn't fulfilled uh, in the Israeli state at the moment. Um, and in fact, the Israeli state is uh, particularly brutal, um, particularly against minorities. Um, and how does that impact on, on all of this that we're discussing? Well, that's very, very true what you've just said. Israel's present government is a coalition, a right wing coalition led by Benjamin Netanyahu, and it's adopted extremely repressive policies in the Palestinian territories, adding to the enormous suffering in the West Bank towns and in Gaza. You know, recently we've seen the shooting of unarmed protesters who have been demonstrating in the Gaza Strip. And 
also inside Israel itself, that government has taken a course of racist incitement and attacks on democratic rights. We've seen the this um, new nationality law that's been passed, uh, which there's been a big outcry about internationally, and it's one of many laws in Israel, in fact, that discriminate against non-Jews. But um, what's the impact, you asked, of this situation? Well, one major impact is that the Palestinian struggle goes on, uh, clearly it has to, and that there's massive support for it as well across the world. And one of the side effects of this, uh, especially in Arab and Muslim countries, is that there can be uh, a general association of uh, associating Israeli Jews with the oppression of the Palestinians, and that can unfortunately lead to expressions of anti-Semitism. And, you know, we can go a bit further and say that the Israeli ruling class actually makes that situation worse when it claims that Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people worldwide. So therefore, it's really trying to make the uh, you know Jewish people worldwide responsible for its terrible crimes. And then, um, when anti-Semitism rears its head internationally, the Israeli ruling class points to anti-Semitism um, globally to try to justify its policies uh, to the international audience and domestically. You know, it's basically saying, um, look, see uh, see how much we need this Jewish homeland. And, you know, whatever that means as far as, you know, the Palestinians are concerned, when there's all this anti-Semitism in the world, you know, we, we, we have to have this situation. That's their, that's their justification then. But um, it, I think it's it's clearly very important for socialists to point out that it's the Israeli ruling class, the Israeli capitalists that are inflicting the repression. Um, it's in that class's interests and it's not in the interests of the working class and middle class in Israel, nor of any Jewish people worldwide, um, ordinary Jewish people worldwide. You know, obviously it's a different matter for the, the extreme rich who have got um, business links um, with the Israeli ruling class. But um, most Israelis in Israel genuinely want the Palestinians to be able to have their own states. They realise that the conflict won't go away without that. And it's not true that as some left organisations portray the Israeli uh, Jewish population as a one big reactionary mass. But um, that just simply isn't true. I mean, it, it is true that the security fears that are whipped up by successive governments have pulled, and it's particularly pronounced at the moment, you know, they pull a significant section of the Israeli population into supporting the right-wing government. But it's also the case that the class struggle can be seen in many, many respects in Israel. In fact, that um, the levels of poverty, which are quite high, uh, the regular job losses, the massive incidents of insecure work, um, casualization that we see in many other countries as well. These are all very common in Israel and there are regular worker struggles uh, against all of these and strikes take place. And also um, I should mention that over the last year there have been some very large demonstrations in Israel, uh, firstly against corruption, but also against forced deportations of immigrants, particularly from Africa. Uh, there was a very large demonstration concerning LBGT rights and 
perhaps uh, most important of all from the, what you know on the issues we've just been talking about have been big demonstrations against the nationality law in fact inside Israel. Okay so then to come back to the way that this debate's manifesting in Britain at the moment is as we've said kind of mainly around the Labour Party why is it that Corbyn has been a target for these accusations of anti-Semitism? Well, I think it's partly because of his commendable, long-standing support for the Palestinians' cause and his participation in many events over time on that issue. Um, but in fact, the accusers haven't actually been able to come up with any evidence of anti-Semitism by Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and he's got a very long record of opposing it, in fact. You know, he, he's strongly asserts that he's you know totally against anti-semitism and all forms of racism but um, it's also the case that he and a layer of others on the left have partly been seen as a target because they haven't always taken a what we would think is a clear enough class class class-based position regarding israel or palestine uh, which doesn't mean that mistakes can be made sometimes of a minor, minor nature sometimes more important ones and mistakes can then be seized upon by the right. For instance, they haven't always been clear enough in the way that um, they uh, refer to the policies and, you know, the individuals sometimes, you know, in terms of the leadership of the Palestinian organisations like Hamas and Fatah. You know, they need to be, those uh, organisations need to be criticised for, in the case of Hamas, for being based on right-wing Islam, and in the case of Fatah, because um, it's also got no solutions, it's, it looks to Western imperialism to, to deliver a capitalist Palestinian state. And um, so mistakes are made on those sort of issues. But it's also important that the uh, Jeremy Corbyn and, and other left leaders promote a socialist road to end the conflict, uh, which you know many on the left d don't do. Um, but I think really, well, what you know. It, there's a large amount of desperation in the attacks that have been made by the Blairites and the right of Labour, the Tories, and some of the right-wing representatives of Jewish organisations that we've seen speaking out on this. And what they've been trying to do is distort and, and tell lies, really, as well, in order to try to denigrate Corbyn. But um, also, in reality, it's having a very limited effect. And I think if... Um, Jeremy Corbyn puts forward clear demands to improve living standards for ordinary people in Britain, he can win the next general election, that these, these attacks are not going to carry any weight because they can be seen for what they are as, as basic um, slanders, in fact. But um, we would also say in the Socialist Party that uh, Jeremy Corbyn and those around him should be less defensive on this issue, that they should be more offensive in countering the slanders because, you know, in the main, that's what these attacks are. Okay, so just to finish then, I think it's right if we finish by uh, asking how can anti-Semitism be countered? Okay, well I'll make three points on this, I think. Um, the first is that we need to make it clear that there are Jewish people in Israel, including our sister organisation, Socialist Struggle Movement, who want joint struggle with the Palestinians against the occupation and against oppression. In other words, we need to make it clear that it's wrong to place blame on Jewish people for the plight of the Palestinians. Jewish people in general is what I'm saying. Um, you know, as I said earlier, we must, it's got to be very clearly placed on the Israeli ruling class and, you know, their sponsors in the imperialist powers of the past and present. 
Uh, and really, as far as the Israeli working class goes, um, they will be able to play a key role in challenging the actions of the Israeli capitalist class and eventually moving it from power as they develop their organisations. That's the first point. Now, the second point is that as most anti-Semitism comes from the far right, it's essential to counter those organisations, those far right organisations and the prejudice and the bigotry that they're churning out. So what can we do? Well, in particular, strengthening the role of the workers' movement in fighting racism in the far right is really the best way of being effective in countering these potentially dangerous organisations. And also, it's very important, I think, for the trade union movement, the workers' movement as a whole, as well, to be visible as a pole of attraction, um, presenting an alternative to disenchanted youth who might mistakenly turn towards the far-right organisations that are coming out with racist um, actions and and um, and words and so on. Uh, now, thirdly, the only way that anti-Semitism and all forms of racism and discrimination are going to be ended for good is to remove the roots of them. That's That's also clear. And the roots lie in the existence of unequal class-based societies which can't provide for the needs of all sections of the population. You know, that's been clear in all the previous uh, outbreaks of the worst outbreaks of anti-Semitism, and it's also clear when you analyse other forms of racism too. And this could only be done by building workers' parties based on socialist programmes, which can become very attractive in the next period when you look at the nightmare future that capitalism is offering the new generation and also of course you know the older generations as well and i'll add that it's important that all people who suffer from racism and discrimination need to come together to help build such parties you know workers parties independent working class based parties because it won't be through fighting separately that we'll build a strong enough force to change society of course, you know, um, campaigns and struggles on separate issues, you know, we, we they're, they're welcome and, you know, they can contribute. But at the end of the day, we also have to come together to build um, strong, united workers' forces, which can unite in discussion, in debate, can make decisions collectively on a democratic basis and enter into struggle against this system together because this is a system which uses division among workers as an essential tool for its um, survival and development. And it's only by challenging that that we can end racism and discrimination uh, for forever, basically. Great. Thanks very much, Judy. So hopefully that helped clarify some of the distortions on the issue of anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism, along with fighting racism, will be the topic of one of the many workshops at Socialism 2018. That's a full weekend of discussion and debate in central London on the 10th and 11th of November. You can find out more about it and get tickets at socialism2018.net. Don't forget to check out the episode notes at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast, where you'll find suggestions for further reading. Click subscribe now so that you never miss an episode. And if you have any questions or any thoughts or ideas for what you'd like us to discuss, we want to hear from you, so email us at socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk.